Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Voice Hacks podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to have on the show today, Tim and Zen, the dual vocal team of Nay Obliviscaris from Australia. Thank you guys so much for meeting me today and for being on the podcast. No problem at all. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, it's uh, been quite a few years since uh, we've actually crossed paths. Yes, I briefly saw you guys when you guys were uh, just briefly coming through Vegas. And I'm so sad because the tour you have coming up in October is not coming through Vegas. So It's always one of those challenges uh, trying to fit in everything um, and get to everywhere. But I think um, that's why we hope to keep coming back um, each time, obviously mix things up. And um, it's exciting to be here and have that new record on the horizon and finally some tours after a long time without uh, without any. Things have changed a lot for you guys over the last few years. When is the last time that you did any touring? It was, it was uh, I think we did a couple of festivals in June 2019. I remember that I landed back in Australia on July 1, 2019, after that European festival tour. And we were supposed to come home for about 12 months to do the new record. And then that's wow. now three and a half years ago. And um, yeah, so it's been a while. <laughs> That's crazy to me. I, I like thinking back at how long this is. That's kind of insane to me. Uh, how mm. difficult is it for you to, you know, you have this North American tour coming up in October. How difficult is it for you to orchestrate something like that? Uh, even now, after all this time, certainly more difficult than last year. But is it still does it still propose any difficulties for you guys to get that off the ground? Yeah. So I guess I'll, the challenges at the moment with kind of post pandemic is I guess it's getting kind of back up to speed on everything because some things are different now than they were but a lot of it is just money and so everything's gone up in price everything's more expensive it's more expensive to book you know buses and flights and um, you know visas are taking like a way longer than usual for the US and all that sort of stuff and so what we're finding is you know having to be um, you know we always try and be organized but having to try to treat everything as urgent even when the tour is in October because um you know everything is just takes a lot longer and I'm um, just trying to work out how to make sure all the upfront costs of everything that we can we can pay for it all and um because we've been sitting at home there obviously hasn't been that normal turnover of um money coming in for uh certain areas of the band and so yeah so it's definitely been a, a big challenge and even just with gear you know we have all this great live gear but it's been sitting there for a long time and testing it all out and double checking what's still working and what needs repairs uh, what we need to get new stuff of um you know really kind of reevaluating everything about the live show and how we tour um as if we were a new band really just kind of reviewing every element from scratch 
make sure that we've got it all covered and that um, we can come back, uh, you know, at a higher level than what we did before, because that's obviously the the intention every time we do a new album to kind of see if we can step things up a bit. Yeah, I mean, three and a half years is an incredibly long time uh, to go. I mean, your lives have probably changed dramatically just personally. You guys really stand out in my mind because you were one of the bands, the very first bands in metal to do uh, Patreon and to have a successful um, crowdfunding, kind of the pioneers of that. How has your business model changed since that time till now? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I guess during the pandemic, it changed as far as that half the money or more disappeared and everyone had to go get more work doing doing other things because um disappeared like did you guys um, did you guys lose subscribers or something because of the pandemic or uh well i mean uh, over time we were actually amazed at at how how high it managed to stay you know like we average probably like eight to ten thousand a month in us dollars in subscribers probably on the earn album cycle and um I think the lowest it got down to was maybe like just under 5,000 US a month. So that's like still a decent amount. Um, and that, that was a, and it was a very, very slow decline over that couple of years. Um, and then now as soon as we put out um, some new material, now it's been starting to go back up again um, since then. And, but I guess the other thing was that where the, the model changed a little bit was in 2016, so like 2014, we did the World Tour crowdfunding campaign, which was uh, broken Australian record at the time for the biggest um, for a music act in Australia. And then we were, uh, yeah, we were the, the first to um, use Patreon to try to fund a band's career in the whole world in, 20, in March 2016. The difference where things went over time was that we started to make some money from tours. In 2016, we were losing like in US dollars, you know, oh. 10 to 20,000 US from every single tour. Um, and so Patreon was the only way of not just trying to pay ourselves something, but of funding our losses. Oh, Whereas yeah. by the end of the Earn album cycle, we were actually making, you know, small profits on the tours that we were doing, which meant that the Patreon money was mostly going towards paying for us like um, as, as a wage um, so that we could do the band like as a, as a job, as a profession. Um, but then we were also adding in different things from royalties and tours and all of it was getting added together. Whereas of course, when all the tour stuff, um, dried up, then some of that income disappeared, but then uh -huh. also we had no way to kind of engage people. And, um, it was a very awkward time to say like, Hey, support us on Patreon. Everyone's losing their jobs. It's a pandemic. People are dying. Give our band money. Like we didn't want to do that. Yes. And so we kind of just were pretty quiet on that for a couple of years until we finally finished this new album and we'd say, Hey, okay, now's the time. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, as many of you that did, and then um, let's keep going on from there. But I guess the difference is now, yeah, that element of instead of solely relying on Patreon, which it was, it was like the only way we survived in 2016. It's amazing, now it's, yeah. it's using that traditional, those traditional revenue elements in addition to Patreon and combining them all to um, support the band's um, ability to survive and, and function. This is really fascinating because uh, uh, now I see what you mean by the half that disappeared came from your live performances. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were um, you know, not only, you know, we were struggling, but at the same time, you know, over the pandemic, people lost jobs. They couldn't, you know, it, it is that kind of you got to work out okay how much do we promote this how much do we 
put into things or how can we provide content? And it was just, yeah, such an awkward time, you know, not only for us, but I mean, we, we as a band were probably a lot more lucky than a lot of other bands. You know, we had at least something yes. to help us to help us continue, whereas a lot of other bands, you know, some may have folded and some, you know, put everything on hiatus for however long. And um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's uh, where um, still quite overwhelmed at how many people kind of stuck by us through that time. But um, we're trying to make up for the lost time now that we're we've uh, started our, I guess, album cycle. Yes, because you really came back out with a bang here. Your first single. And it comes with an absolutely gorgeous 12-minute video. But it's a vi- it's actually a 12-minute video that I did <laughs> not get bored watching for a single second. It is, I mean, it ties it's together. Nice. It makes sense, you know, visually. You know what I mean? And and there are a lot yeah. of times where like, ah, metal, 12 minutes, ah, you know. But this is like a, a almost like a film. The song we're talking about is Equus. And you are talking a lot conceptually about the horrible bushfires that you all endured uh, in Australia as well. On top of the pandemic, you had a terrible environmental climate change related disaster and you felt very strongly about that and put that into your art. So talk to me a little bit about how those that climate disaster affected you guys personally and how it led to the production of this uh, very epic piece that you came out with. I think because the, the the bushfires happened in late 2019, early 2020, so just prior to the actual uh, pandemic hysteria, which was, I guess, around March of 2020. Yes. And so this was all prior to that. And so, you know, Australia was going through um, such a... Uh, such a panic i guess to some extent you know millions of if not billions of animals died displaced uh, people died and so um well the the feeling behind the song was there and the music was written prior to all this and i i, I cover a lot of global kind of issues in some of my stuff it doesn't necessarily need to be a main focus but then kind of channeling a lot of those thoughts into the emotion that a song portrays so a lot of our music may be created first and then I kind of work out, you know, how, ultimately how does this make me feel? And I just discuss with Tim as to, you know, what his vibe on the song is and what, what sort of emotion something is portraying, you know. However, you know, Tim and I kind of perhaps need to talk about some of that stuff because we are completely different people and we kind of communicate on different levels, so to speak, and, you know, some things may not make sense to him as they do to me so we kind of have to explain ourselves i generally have a darker perspective on things um so this this sort of matches what you both embody in the visual of the band as well you know you have uh and also vocally right certainly you have the distorted vocals versus the clean vocals and that was going to be something i was going to ask you about and i'm glad you brought it up is how does a dual vocal team work all of that out at the end of the day composing together you know what i think we work it out really well because it's uh it's a it's a lot of fun working with Zen, uh, fun isn't the word or a word that he would use very often, but I guess that goes to another example of our differences. It's not in my dictionary. But but basically, you know, Zen and I've worked together for 19 and a half years now with this band. Yeah. Um, That's from when when I uh, joined. Um, And, you know, it's been a, you know a great working relationship for a really long time where you know we always had the same vision in regards to 
wanting to create the best thing possible. Um, and we're both really passionate about that and really trying to do it at the highest level possible. And we've always been like that, even when we were just a rubbish local band that, and we really weren't very good for quite a few years. It took us a long time, but we always had these aspirations just to be the absolute best band that we possibly could be, even at the same time when we thought that we would never get very popular because we were kind of creating weird music. When we're writing, it's really just about communication. So, you know, there might be a demo for a song and, um, you know, we will spend some time often immediately, you know, sending an email or some text messages back and forth, say, hey, I've got some ideas for 237 and 323 and okay. um, these parts and just getting a bit of a, a an initial perspective on where each of us has ideas. Um, and then we try to work out if any of them uh, work together um, or if they work against each other and we have to choose. Um, we're often coordinating not just our vocals but also the violin as well because sometimes yes. there's sections where you could put any three of them um, and then sometimes it's then also coordinating in the guitar solos because it might be okay here's a section that could use melody are you going to put a guitar solo a violin melody clean vocals and then sometimes you know we're never adverse to doing um, two things at the same time you know that was something where on portal of i it was kind of accidental back in the day mm, where we would yeah. write without communication you know in those uh, early days we would just come up with ideas and i remember with portal of i yeah or sometimes yeah it'd be we turn up to rehearsal and oh hey we both have ideas for that and we would just try it out and i remember in the studio even maybe for portal of i you know or maybe even for citadel as well I think there were moments where, you know, we turned up and it's like, oh, you're singing there. I've got an idea to sing there as well, you know, and we would just try it out instead of being like, oh, no, I'm going to sing there or we have to choose. It was like, hey, let's see how it sounds together. And um, oh, I think that's yeah. one thing that's maybe less common that we do quite a bit, which is um, that element of joining the, the vocals together. There's a lot of bits where you know, um, Zen's uh, got his vocals happening at the same time as my violin. I might have a violin solo and his stuff happened at the same time. There's times where we sing at the same time and there's other times where we coordinate going back and forth. But we do work together quite closely on a lot of that. And really there's no decisions made on where the violin vocals of both types happen without mm -hmm. us um, talking together. So I would say that like in amongst the band, once that initial part of the song is written, um, it's kind of Zan and I that work the, the closest and collaborate the most, um, where I say, the, you know, Martino might be left to his devices to basically write his bass parts and then send them through for us to check out, whereas Zen and I will be more, you know, I'll be sending him vocal ideas, like, hey, I've got a melody for this, what do you think, do, do you think that suits that section? And, um, you know, Zen was talking about the different way we might interpret things um, and emotions, and it's it's often about... You know, I might have a particular melodic idea and then I might feel a particular energy with it or maybe it might um, feel, you know, for want of a better description, it might feel like happy or joyous. And then, you know, Zen's lyrical concept is a bit darker. And so it's like, okay, well, do we adjust the lyrical concept? Do we adjust the melody? We've got to make sure that they, they somewhat match. Um, but that's really just, like I said, that back and forth and be, us being together linked through that. Uh, entire process yeah i think i think uh, well, what what makes us work welcome despite being somewhat completely opposite in a lot of ways 
is just our ability to see a bigger picture. We kind of, we have a goal that we want to achieve or to get to. And, and it also comes down to ultimately not being attached to anything in terms of when we write. So we can come up with all these ideas, but if you're too attached to things, then there's such a, I guess, a, uh, a negative, uh, a t- almost a negative uh, sense from that. So we go into it writing that, okay, these are our ideas. And what do you think? It's, we can go either way. It's, it's, it's not an issue if something gets canned because it's a collabor- collaborative process and, you know, it's, it's for the greater cause. I was just saying, just quickly on that as well, that also goes to how often we do stuff because sometimes it'll be like, there might be a great idea. It's like, hey, hey Zen, this is an instrumental section for like five minutes. And, you know, never do you hear Zen be like, oh, what am I supposed to do or, or whatever? Do you know what I mean? Like there's never. There's not a complaint. Yeah, it, well, it's because it's not about any one individual. It's about, is this good music? And yeah. if you send through an idea and it's agreed that this is good, then then nothing else is, is really discussed about, um, oh, hey, you know, th- we haven't done this in a while or there's not enough violin in this oh. song. Um, and that's why you hear with the clean vocals of that sometimes there's a lot of clean vocals in a song and sometimes there's almost none because it just depends on how it feels, you know, it depends on how it comes out. Um, and the same with different instrumental bits, you know, if there's, if I get on a roll with something like we did maybe with Misericord 2, um, where there's a long <laughs> instrumental section, um, you know, it's like kind of working out, okay, well, what fits and where it works to bring in the heavy vocals, but at the same time, not not forcing it. And we even did kind of the opposite of what we have often did in the past, where say in, in Graal, I remember Zen and I, we were talking about this of his big moment of his vocals finishing are about the five and a half minute mark. And Zen doesn't come back in again for the last three, you know, three minutes of the song. Whereas normally there's often a few big screams at the end. And it was like, oh, well, does it need it though? And I remember Zen and I having that discussion and I think it was even Zen's idea to be like, no, 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 like let's just do it as as it is because this works musically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, gen- generally, and I don't want to get necessarily stuck into a pattern. I mean, obviously, each song can be appreciated for what it is and listen separately, and you should do what's, you know, ultimately best for the song for people to listen to it as an ind- individual song. But in this in this case, it was kind of like the music is, you know, I have I have a moment, you know, minutes before it ends, but the music keeps the intensity, the build-up, everything keeps going, and adding a, an me to it you know maybe perhaps would have made it um as intense but also different but at the mm-hmm. same time i think the music in itself ultimately speaks for itself for what it is and um how it came out so it's um you know we i don't think we're not necessarily too conscious about repeating ourselves with certain things but i think um you know there's that that sense of uh, I think Tim and I sh- share in a way of like what what's important in this part, I guess. Mm. It sounds like the two of you are also somewhat div- divorced from 
you know, you, you make a really good point about sort of being uh, separated from your personal attachment to your idea, which I think is a, a level of maturity that a musician has to evolve to. Because I think when we're younger, we're a lot more like, this is my part, you know, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, like, but this is why you've been, uh, been been able to work together for 20 years about, you know, and it's not yeah. magic. It comes with, you, you, you mentioned a lot of like explaining yourselves to each other and that you have to communicate very clearly to get your points across. And I love that you mentioned the melodic counterpoint of your other instruments, because I do feel like a lead guitar especially, but in your case in the band, which has a very unique addition, uh, the violin is a very vocal sounding element. It, it, it almost carries singable vocal melodies and that will overlap and, and interplay with the things you're doing vocally. It's interesting to hear you talk about uh, that you have to make that a consideration as well. Yeah, I, I think that there's all the different types of um, roles that we have in the band. So we have, I guess, seven primary instruments as far as that there's the the six members plus um, me on on the two instruments, violin and, and vocals. But beyond that, you know, there's a couple of different viola solo parts on this record. Um, it, within the violin, there's pretty acoustic violin parts. There's distorted violin parts. There's violin parts that are leads, there's solos, there's rhythmic violin parts, there's violin sections, there's mm. string quartet sections with viola and cello added. So there's a lot of different types of ways that we can bring that melody across. Um, and so it's then thinking about what type of melody um, serves the song most mixed with what type of texture or uh, timbre that we want to add in at those particular moments. Um, and then trying to mix that up so there's that flow. And that's where I think that it's easy to not get too attached to things. Uh, I mean, you know, Zen and I, like, we get featured plenty in the band, you know. Um, like, uh, it, it, we're not, like, uh, de deprived of, of getting to do our thing. You know, we both get a chance to be ourselves in the music. Um, and, um, and that makes it pretty easy, especially over the years to feel comfortable that, oh, okay, I had a good idea here, but, um, that doesn't work because there's an, another idea there already. But then on the other hand, sometimes what happens, with, which is like with Graal, um, is that we have a bunch of ideas and so the sections just get made longer. And so that, that was what happened with Graal, where I remember mm. Martino actually wrote the guitar riff for that 7-4 um, ending section and he sent it through and straight away I was like, oh, I have so many ideas for this. I have vocal ideas, I have violin ideas, it's going to be so cool. And within like two days, Benji sent through this epic guitar solo and it used up like the whole section. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, oh, shit, we're just going to have to extend the section because there's like so many good ideas for this riff. You can't just do that guitar solo to be done because um, there are just so much you could do with um, with that riff. So in the end, the riff goes for like three minutes or something like that because there were just so many ideas. Now, not every riff works to just repeat it um, for that amount of time. But, um, you know, that is something we're very open to doing. You know, you don't just have to do a riff a couple of times and move on. Um, uh, but if you're going to extend it, obviously there's got to be particular flow. It has to build up. And that's where with that ending, um, riff of growl, it is this very, very set, um, development where you can hear, you know, every, 
um, you know, four repetitions and the, the kicks are changing and then there's going to this rhythm and then this rhythm and then the guitar goes from this to that and then there's the strings and then the violins and then, you know, everything kind of builds and progresses in a very um, specific, you know, designed fashion. And so I, I think that's the catch with all of our stuff because there are so many choices with the instrumentation. It does have to be highly, highly coordinated um, to make sure it all makes sense you know um yeah even another example is like in equas like the guitar solo that benji added in you know originally we were talking about a guitar solo and what got put forward worked in a particular part which was this kind of tapping bit which is just kind of when the choir comes in in the latter part of that song whereas the the big guitar solo that happens about nine and a half minutes into that wasn't there in any of the demos and um benji actually wrote it in the studio it's really great it, yeah and yeah it's, it's amazing and he sent it through and it was like oh hold on uh we need space for that now um because the rest of the song hadn't been designed oh. anymore with that in mind and it was kind of too much straight into it so we we added after recording we added i don't know two or four reps of the guitar riff you know before before the guitar just to make sure the spacing of everything um you know uh flowed really well mm-hmm. um but that's the, that's always the thing as soon as you do one thing you have to take consideration especially with a 12 minute song that flow of the energy and um coordinating all of those different elements is definitely a, a big um a big part of um what we do and how we write at the, at the same time we you know our, our we've never limited ourselves musically as to us a specific song length or something like that so if anyone has ideas you know all the ideas are listened to and you know whether they fit or whatnot um so you know we have enough room to move to basically do whatever we want i know some other bands may have more of a formula or something or how they think or how they create music but for us we don't really care I think that, though, is very a big piece of why you've been a successful band, why people continue to follow you after so many years and why you've developed over all this time as well is because you are uh, giving what fits your art the priority as opposed to like mm-hmm. a preconcept of what it should be. Because we've heard that over the years, the band that tries to make their best album again, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. Can you do that? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that you can. You can get close, you know. But sometimes um, when you intend too hard, you know, like you said, uh, you guys made all these points that that highlight that, that it can work against your art and what you're trying so, to express, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't try and repeat anything we've done. We, whatever, we don't go in with a, a specific kind of a strategy as to how to write our songs or make them more thatchier or... Uh, think about how something may appeal to, you know, uh, listeners. So it, it's, mm-hmm. you know, we all, you know, people mature over time, develop, we get influenced by different things. And so with that, our music evolves. And I think, you know, you should embrace that evolution of every individual in the band, then creating that overall you know, evolution of sound, so to speak. And, you know, we also, you know, on the restrictions in art, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why we didn't music video a 12 and a half minute music video because uh because we didn't want to necessarily compromise uh the art and we don't care 
Well, and it turned out great, though. This is where quality matters. So people often, you know, will roll their eyes at like a very long video or concept or something. However, if it, the difference is very strongly, if it's good, people will <laughs> yeah. be happy to watch it for that. That's how I found myself looking at it. I was like, wow, I actually did not even, to be honest with you guys, I didn't even realize it was 12 minutes till it was over. And I thought... I thought that was like a six minute song. Like it didn't even feel like a 12 minute song. So I think that's very important because some artists do the thing where they do put a preconceived length and then they're trying to fill the 12 minutes. And that's, I think, very different result. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best compliment you can have about mm. a longer song. Um, and the, the quality thing is so important because you know, my philosophy with songwriting is very much that the longer the song gets, the better it has to be, or else you're going to lose the listener. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you get to the seven minute mark and it's like, if you want to make it longer, it better be a good song because, you know, as soon as there is a moment of, you know, one riff or one section that's not quite as good, like you, you lose them. And that's where with Equas, like the first four minutes, obviously go through a bit of a journey with some different things. And then from the four minute mark all the way through to the 12 and a half minute mark song where the song finishes it is the the same ongoing flow of energy like there is no um pause it, it it flows in different directions but it is always ongoing and it was written like that like in this one ongoing eight and a half minute stream of thought um in the way that it was written and and uh, and fine-tuned um and that was one of the discussions with the ending because one thing that a lot of people like haven't really realized and i brought this up with a couple of people and they're always kind of shocked but like the last five minutes of that song it's just the same chord progression for five minutes um it's just acoustic oh. and then there's the clean vocals and the string quartet and then the violin solo and then the same riff goes heavy and then there's a guitar solo and the choir and then the female choir and zen vocals like so there's a lot a lot of things changed like there's not more than 30 seconds in a row the same it's always changing and developing but it's just the same riff for five minutes and like that's not that easy <laughs> to make sure to, to make them. interesting yeah yeah and that was a discussion at times I, I'm sure that some of the guys brought that up with me at one point of like you know is this like mm -hmm. getting too long and it's like no no it's just as long as everything's work. exactly where it is and as long as the mix mix had to be perfect mm. or else you're going to lose them because you're going to get to the 10 and a half 11 minute mark and they're going to feel like oh hey this song's pretty long and as soon as they think that you know you just uh you you lose them and that's why you do have to suck them in and with the video it's the same you got to draw them in visually connect that with the music so they're not noticing the visuals and the music separately they're just kind of uh mm -hmm. connecting to them both together and then hopefully just you keep them if it's good enough they're just watching they're absorbed all the way through to the end i think i think with creating a video it's it's almost if you can make it interesting if you can make a video interesting without the sound you're already onto a good thing ah and so it's 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 like it's like watching you know black and white movies or something like that you know mm -hmm. old black and white movies a lot of them you know even silent films and whatnot like I grew up watching a lot of silent films and I love old cinema and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, if you can make anything good without the audio, then adding the audio only makes it that much better. 
Wow, I think that's uh, a really good way for people who are listening to kind of that are maybe learning how to do these things to conceptualize, you know, making the art because it is a really visually stunning video which you put together. Who films and edits the videos? Is this in-house production? Are you guys doing this? Are you working with some people um, to help you achieve those visuals? No, it was. Um, it was uh, so I would kind of come up with the concept and ideas, basically produce everything, put it together, organize everything myself. Mm-hmm. and um, actually got uh, Dave Hunt, who's from Australian, his drummer from Australian band called Circles. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of uh, uh, video and makes his own kind of music videos for bands and that sort of thing. So I wanted to get him on um, to help me bring this one to life. And so with that one, he edited it as well. So it was based ultimately uh, between Dave and myself that we kind of created that. So um, it taught me uh, how stressful it was and why when you make a video, there's so many different people involved. Yes. You know, there's the credits are so long. And for us, it was, you know, just myself and Dave primarily doing everything. And um, we have uh, we have something, a uh, video coming out um, uh, soon that we just finished um, actually creating. Um, so uh, basically the same process. However, in this regard, instead of... Um, uh, Dave uh, filming and editing. Um, he's purely filming, and I'm editing it for the first time. So, oh, that's going to be cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so that one that Zen's referring to is for uh, for the song Graal, which by the time this airs will will be out. So, if people go check that one out, that'll um, that's uh, if you like it or don't, the credit or blame all goes to Zen. For that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. We're unfortunately, up I'm taking funeral pyre now. So yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh it's, man. Yeah, I I mean it in it, to a degree I have, you know, when you have a specific vision, you don't want if something goes wrong, you don't necessarily want to blame someone else for that and you you know, I you could call it control issues when it comes to creativity, <laughs> but it's um yeah, you know, I like to have dabble in all sorts of uh, creative fields and so music uh, videos is one of those things and you know, I, I guess jumping in the deep end is a quicker uh, path to learning yes. about things, the mistakes you make, how you can kind of improve on things next time. But, um, you know, I've got uh, Dave there to help with filming and whatever else. So he can he can tell me whether, you know, my ideas aren't possible. So there's a few, a few interesting kind of ideas we kind of stretched out in this one to create certain scenes. So, um, uh yeah, but it's. I think it's turned out well so far. Yeah, and just on that, on following up that joke, um, I I make that because I think that's it's really um, incredible, and it's it's been such a wonderful thing for Zen to start exploring that because mm-hmm. not everyone would realize, but all of the band's artwork, um, all of our band photos, all of our merchandise, it's all done by Zen. Um, so wow. that visual side of the band, every time you see a band photo and a t-shirt design and every album cover and the booklets and everything like that, that's and all, pretty much every tour poster and stuff like that as well. So that whole visual side of the band, as well as the lyrical, as well as the vocal um, is, is Zen. And, and that's where, you know, we do have in this band a, like some complementary pieces that fit together because then he's very visual. Um, whereas, you know, I, I don't do any of any of those things that I just listed. I don't do any of them, which is really great because then there's different things that I'm good at and different things. Some of the mm. other guys are good at. And then, 
we put those together and then there's quite a lot of things that somebody in the band is good at, you know, in amongst the, 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 the entire band. Right. Because mm. you guys are running a, 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 a really a good successful business as well as a band. And it sounds like you each take on different roles based on your strengths in the business capacity as well, not just in a, a musical capacity. Yeah. We've, we've kind of always done that from, uh, from day one, pretty much. You know, on early internet forums, Tim and myself were, you know, promoting the hell out of the band. We'd get, we'd get um, feedback from people saying we're doing too much promotion or we're annoying them or whatever. But, you know, we've kind of seen, <laughs> it's, it's, we've always been uh, quite business-minded overall. I mean, Tim's far more business-minded than I am, but it's, um, we've always pushed the band in, in different ways, but, all, but always forward for, mm-hmm. you know, for for the sake of the band and you know there's always you know that one person you 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 may come across that kind of finds finds it and i think with with bands these days especially with online stuff there needs to you know the everything's becoming more of a visual focus and so the first time people may come across you is say whether it's a band picture whether it's an album cover or something like that and it's unfortunate in a lot of ways where music um ultimately comes first but you still need to grab the attention of all these other people to actually listen to you in the first place and unfortunately because we're a much more visual world now people get attracted to pretty things so it's 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 you know so we we don't necessarily cater too much to that but at the same time our our goal with everything is to try to present the highest quality in everything that we do going forward I think yeah, you guys Zen, are... used that, oh, Zen used that word of big picture earlier. And I think that just comes back to that of, you know, what him and I are always thinking that the big picture of every, every possible different element of what we're doing with the music and the touring and the artwork and the videos and the promotion and really is all of those different elements and always keeping that in mind with all of the different things that we do, um, which I think is yeah, the reason it kind of works works so well in the uh, in the way we kind of interact with each other with the band, I think. Now, I want to pivot for a moment. I want to talk about some of the thing you mentioned earlier. Circle back around to something you mentioned, where you talked about okay, we're getting ready to go on tour, and we're gonna be redoing our whole live. You know, going through the gear, going through the rig, through the setup. So, okay, you've had these songs with tons and tons of tracks are you are you running tracks live um and and how much of a production can you really bring to the united states also as vocalists are you have you had a certain listening setup in the past on tour that you like uh and and is that going to change or stay the same some people have surprised me where uh they won't use in-ears at all and they'll use the 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 stage monitors but i would think like maybe you guys would need tracks and in-ears but tell me about what it's like to listen and Mm. and what you're thinking about for your tour coming up yeah we all use in-ear monitors live um and one of the things that I found was that, you know, we first started using in-ear monitors. I think it was on the Citadel album cycle. You know, I have like some alternate ears, UE7s, which I love. And until I got those, I just, I struggled to sing um, and play the violin in tune on stage um, because everything was just so loud. Um, And if we were just going on the fallback, the frequencies, the way they meld, it's just sometimes hard to tell 
if you're really in tune because like there might be these booming bass frequencies from the drums um, resonating and they're like just distorting the way that you're hearing things. And so um, what I noticed as soon as I started using in-ears, you listen back to recording. Oh, hey, like I'm in tune now, you know, and it was like it was literally as simple as that because yeah. I can hear myself very clearly. I had my yes. own personalized mix. You know, we would have like an app on our phones um, to be able to adjust the mix ourselves. So we'd be sitting there at soundcheck. You know, we look like maybe we're all playing on our phones during soundcheck, but we're all adjusting our in-ears mixes um, and they're all personalized mm -hmm. for each member. So we're all hearing something different um, and we're all hearing a combination of, of the live, um, you know, performance that's happening. And a lot of that is then, um, you know, what soundcheck is about, you know, for, for us on stage, it's getting our inner mix right, because it might feel a little bit different in bigger or smaller rooms, even when you're using maybe fully molded um, block out um, in-ears, there's still a difference, yes. um, depending on the size of the venue that you're playing. Um, so, so that's one thing. Um, uh, we do use um, backing tracks for anything that we can't do live. So for an example, I guess for a song like Across, we were talking about before, um, you know, there's a lot of extra strings there. And so um, the what we generally work out in advance of the tour will be, okay, what am, what am I playing? Which, which parts am I actually playing live? Um, and then we'll put the rest of the string parts on a backing track. And then, um, then I'll be playing everything else. So there's some bits where if we want the big string section sound, um, yeah, and that's what's on the album, the live, we might keep that string section um, on in the live show. And then I perform live over the top of that, because if you get rid of the string section, all of a sudden it's a totally different sound. It's a solo violin sound. It's not a yes. string section sound. So it's a completely different tone. Um, whereas then for a lot of bits, it's simply, I'm playing all the solo parts. Um, and then, you know, there's other sections where we get rid of one of the violins, but there's a second violin, viola, cello, and they're on the backing track and I'm playing the lead violin part live. Ah. Um, but then we even have sometimes adjustments like that, depending on if we are able to have any guest musicians, you know? So when we, uh, performed, you know, Eerie, um, from Urn on our last album cycle, Every now and then we had the opportunity to have an extra violinist play with us. Um, and when we did have that opportunity, um, we would get we would have a different backing track that deleted uh, the second second violin part so that those were both live. And then mm. just the viola and the cello were on the backing track. So just little things like that. So um, there's never really anything that's there on the backing track that that we're also doing. Um, you know, there's not the, the drums or guitar or bass or anything like that. It's just for stuff yeah. that is important to the song um yeah, absolutely and, and and that without it all of a sudden hey that's that section's not as good without the string quartet you know um and because that's how it was written and that was one of the decisions that we made especially when i started coming up with ideas for that there was a discussion within the band kind of realizing that hey if we start using more strings and quartets and stuff like that the the backing tracks become more important because maybe a section isn't very good if you, maybe the main bit might be a string quartet um and if you get rid of it the song's not as interesting and so that was kind of a conscious decision i guess over the last couple albums that we have to make sure that we have that for the live show yeah so that um so that what people are hearing is um the full version of the song with us playing as many parts as we can for being six musicians and then anything we can't because maybe there's more than six parts and that's what's on the backing track from there 
Yeah, it's probably a little a little more expensive to have a quartet on tour with us. <laughs> oh yeah, I I mean I my, my am, dream though, um, my dream though. <laughs> oh, that would be absolutely epic. That would be gorgeous. You know, I mean, with the stuff you guys have, you could convert it to like an orchestral arrangement if you really wanted to go yeah. hard on it. You know, <laughs> but um, yeah. I I'm with you. I'm a I'm a click track back of tracks in ears. I mean, that's me. Like I'm that kind of person. So, but yeah. every person I interview is very different. You know, so but I'm with you because um. For example, and one thing that I do, I just there's a million different synth sounds, and I'm just like, nah, this is like it's ridiculous. We're just gonna track it, you know. Also, I really hate rushing songs, you know. I like it mm. to be to the click. I don't want to rush through things. And your guys' music, I imagine, would come, uh, you know, you need it to lay back to some of the more epic sort of tempos and feels that you. I mean, sometimes you have fast things, but sometimes you have mm. things that if it were rushed, it would also ruin it. People don't understand that that the tempo is part of the art too. It's not just the tracks like and there's some things you put in your in-ears like i'm always talking like the song in eight count you know and then it like tells yeah. people what's coming and then it doesn't it it keeps the facade of the live show you don't have to talk like actually talk to each other as much on stage i think it's a good yeah. thing so yeah i i'm i was probably the last one in the band to get in-ears i always love the fallback mm. because I like the the feel of the the atmosphere, the music created, the crowd, everything like that. And so it, it kind of felt a lot more real to me. Mm -hmm. And I could maybe almost connect to it a little bit more. Whereas having your news for the first time, there was such a disconnect between what I was feeling and the music. And it's there was such a a difference that it took me quite a while to get used to them. But, you know, having in ears, you know, on stage now, all you hear is drums. There's there's no foldbacks. There's nothing. It's just drums. The sound of the drums. So and you, you don't use any um, any additional, like, floor monitors or fills no. or anything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, no. And so I ultimately have to have in ears now. <laughs> so You have no choice. Um, I have no choice, yeah. Have you guys and ever done the thing, like, a few, so, uh, every once in a while, like, if you tell to the sound guy, like, I like the audience feedback, like, it depends on who your monitor person is or if you're doing it mm -hmm. yourselves, you know, but have you ever done the thing where you actually mic sound cr crowd noise and put it in your in-ears? Because sometimes I've run into that. Well, they'll actually do that so that you feel more. Um, yeah. So that's know. something that we we did look into and we've done a, a tiny bit. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to like backtrack slightly and note that of course. Ben was kind of a little bit peer pressured into <laughs> getting the in-ears because, <laughs> because we were getting rid of all the foldbacks and it was like, hey, Zen, we just need you to get on in-ears and then we can have like a, a cleaner sound on stage and that'll make everything sound a little bit um, cleaner front and, of house. And to be um, honest, and, and to be honest, having a click in my ears has helped me get a lot a lot more tighter like I'm my timing is the worst in the band I didn't grow up with a musical background or whatever so having a click track and everything helps me hear that and as if I can hear the click then you know things are pretty good but um, so, um especially if you're trying to scream over blast beats like that's hard that's rhythmically yes especially because a lot of people don't realize like you know instinctively you'll hear the snare louder than the kick but the snare with most of the blast beats is off the beat. The snare is not on time. It's the kick that is mostly on time, but the kick is not on stage. Like you're not hearing the kick as clearly as you are the snare, which is obviously a very acoustically loud instrument. So, you know, that was one of those things, like when you're trying to learn how to like sing or play in time with that sort of extreme metal drumming, 
it's like learning that stuff, you know, like, okay, yes. how is that last beat actually work? You know, what's the thing that's on the beat? Cause it's so fast. Um, you can, your ear can play tricks on you and you think you're in time and, oh no, I'm actually singing in time with the snare and the snare's actually the offbeat. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, I, I rely for the most part on feeling when I'm, you know, when you're screaming, whatever it's, it's, you're focusing on that aspect and, you know, those details, which Tim are talking about, I, a lot of the times I might completely miss. This is a big thing about being a vocalist and that I, as a teacher, have run into a lot is teaching people to count, teaching people mm. to, you know, when you don't also play like another instrument, you know, it's very right. difficult. One of the best students I have uh, with counting is a professional dancer. So, you know what I mean? You can yeah. see how that makes it a lot easier. Cause they're ca they're yeah. counting constantly, you know. I think it's really challenging for vocalists because it's not a natural part of the vocals. It's an additional thing that you have to kind of yeah. do on top of it. Um, yeah. yeah. My, my last thing I wanted to ask you guys about was, you know, with your tours coming up this year, getting back into live, coming back mm -hmm. into it, is there anything that you do routine wise when you're on the road, like food, sleep, warm ups, etc.? Do you have anything that you do or do not do anything? Do you just fly by the seat of your pants? <laughs> you know, for us, it's it's you know we've learned a lot with touring over the years in terms of you know uh, you know people think that vocalists uh, have the most fun on tours. We don't. No. No, where, it's the worst where, job if you take it seriously. It's the least absolutely. fun job. Because yeah. everything, your body is your instrument and everything yes. you do to your body affects ultimately how how it comes out or, you know, how much sleep you've had, how how much water you've had, how how much you've spoken to people in a smoke-filled venue afterwards. It's, you know, it all, it all, it all affects um, what you do. And Tim and I have to be very conscious of the tour as to, you know, we have to do what's best for the tour. And if that means, you know, hiding away in our bunks all day, not being out, then that's what we do. It's, um, we've had, we've had uh, a few issues in the past in regards to, you know, your vocal strain and stuff like that. And um, I think with preparation coming up, it's, you know, kind of, you know, I've, I've over the course of the pandemic, I've managed to get myself, you know, uh, <clears throat> For, for myself, you know, practice was a little hard because, you know, I live with thin walls and an apartment and get noise complaints and that sort of thing. So, you know, before I might, you know, go out to a rehearsal studio or something to maybe practice um, properly. And then now I have a kind of a proper vocal booth that I can do regular practice and that sort of thing. So there's a lot more kind of conditioning I can do. And up and, you know, I would like to... Uh, have a regular routine which i'm i've got now in terms of practicing and i have other bands that i record vocals for so that kind of helps me kind of keeping the uh keep the motivation up for uh, that sort of thing and you know it's it's you know our tours are months and months away but um the more comfortable you are i guess the uh the less you have to think about stressing on tour about how you know how yeah. much thought you have to put into how everything will affect it Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you start from a stronger baseline, you will mm. not. I agree that you won't be as affected by by mm. certain things. But yeah. Yeah. nevertheless, you know, we are putting on a bit of a magic show as vocalists, right? We're we're yeah. not um, perfect, but we try to give a consistent yet. We try to give a consistent performance on stage every night. But there's a lot that goes into making that actually yeah. happen. Yeah, I think that there's the two different elements, like one, like on tour, as Zen was saying, 
a lot of the time, you know, you have a day off and maybe the guys are going out for a drink or something like that. And, um, you know, Zen and I are sitting there with our uh, personalized steam machines and herbal tea with, uh, you know, honey or whatever. Um, and and that's that's what we're doing on our day off where we're getting rest, where you know, steamy our voices, where you're drinking herbal tea, where we're not drinking. Um, you know, I, I don't really drink much anymore um, in general. And that was actually the opposite of what people think. It's because we started touring so much. And I worked out that I can't drink on tour. As soon as I drink the next day, I don't sing quite as good. And then if I don't have a day off, I can't catch up on that vocal rest, which means that often then for several days, my voice is just a little bit under. Um, and so, you know, and it's just that reality of, like Zen said, every single thing you do to your body impacts the quality of your voice. And so you have to do everything that you can. So you have to make sure as best as you can, you're getting rest um, with your body, but also with your voice, which means that a lot of people, you might turn up in a city and a lot of people want to hang out and they want to say hi. And maybe you haven't mm. been there for, you know, that's one of the things I worry about with this upcoming yeah. world tour that we're not going yeah. to have seen certain oh, people for yeah. years, especially like there might be fans that you know really well. Maybe you've met them like five times before. Maybe they're a big a member of our Patreon um, and they want to hang out for ages and you might want to, but you, you don't know where your voice is going to be on that day. Um, and so it might be that what's best for the show is maybe you can't really talk to anyone that day because you just need complete vocal rest to make sure that you're really able to give the best show possible. But that means making these personal sacrifices um, in the way that you go about um, living on the road. And that is just purely only for Zen and I. And the thing mm -hmm. is, for me as a violinist, I can be really sick and I can still play pretty good violin. But, you know, it's it's a lot harder to be able to sing at your best when you're when you're unwell. The other thing on that is the preparation. It's totally different practicing at home to mm -hmm. being a touring uh, singer. And oh, yeah. I remember, you know, you always find out stuff about songs. I remember the first time we toured uh, on the Earn album cycle, this is 2017. We were opening with this song Libera um, at the start of the show. And like one minute into the show, it's like the most difficult vocal part for me out of any of our songs because it's this, you know, high continuous part that gets a little bit higher and they're long notes and it's the start of the show. And the thing is the very first show we we're playing in San Francisco. And I remember I jump out and for the whole first minute, I'm like jumping around on the stage like crazy. And then I go to sing and I'm puffed. <laughs> and then I've got to try to hit this bit, which I was oh, practicing yeah. a lot at home and I really struggled. I really struggled in that first week of the tour to hit that. And I think, you know, pretty quickly, I was like, hey, I think we need to change the set list. <laughs> I think we need to move this song. I'm not in condition enough to be able to do this. Um, but, you know, obviously now further down the line, we've got a lot of experience and we know those sort of things, but it's just not the same um, because, you know, during the show, literally there are parts where I'm I'm jumping around on stage. I might even jump off stage and stage dive, come back on and have to sing. And my heart has to be at a level. Um, my heart rate has to be a level where I can go straight back in and sing exactly like it needs to be and have full control over my breathing. And if I'm not in full control over my breathing, it's not going to sound very good um, because I'm going to have to strain and push. And even though I might pull it off, that's going to hurt me for tomorrow's show because there's going to be that strain <laughs> in my voice. And when you got maybe seven shows in a row, if you do that too often, 
that's when you start to lose your voice and things like that. So just the fact that we won't have done, we won't have done a show in almost four years when we go back on the road. Um, and so the thing I've been saying, um, you know, to myself is, man, I'm going to have to do you know, months of mm -hmm. preparation with my voice so that my voice is in such incredible condition that I can adjust as quickly as possible to that different experience of being on the road. Um, you know, I was even, you know, joking about, oh man, maybe I need to like, I've got, uh, you know, uh, stairs, you know, out this side of this room, like maybe I need to like run up and down the stairs and then sing the part or you're know, like, literally, you know, like how do I prepare I mean, this is not unheard of when I've interviewed Lauren Hart from Once Human, who is a, a mm. really, really fit person, right? Also with yeah. Australian ties as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was straight up talking about cir circuit training while doing the set. So this yeah. is not it's actually unheard a really of. good idea. It's not a bad idea at all, because like you said, there are certain scenarios that you, you, you face live that you cannot replicate even in a band rehearsal, even at home, like it's really hard. I guess mm. you could like rent out a whole stage room a couple times and practice in there, jumping up. Yeah. There. But that's maybe a couple times it costs money. That's not like something you sure. have all the time. Mm. I mean, it's it's a completely different thing. And I also find there is a huge difference when uh, the crowd is filling that room versus when you're sound checking or even rehearsing. There's a whole level of noise that's there that wasn't present previously. And that's something mm -hmm. you can't replicate either. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys, uh, this has been a wonderful so interview. Us, uh, I can't much, thank you uh, enough uh, for making time for this interview. Uh, and you've got for, your new album, the upcoming album, Excel, uh, coming out on uh, March 24th and um, North American tour in October. You can already buy tickets interested. for the tour, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And where can people follow you guys to know more about you and your band? neobliviscaris.com.au don't forget the au because they are lovely australians thank you guys so much for being on the voice hacks podcast it's been a pleasure thank you thank you very much much appreciated thanks for having us that wraps up this episode of the voice hacks podcast thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe rate and review the show 